Hello, Renaissance. Um, so today we're going to talk about suffering. I know all of you wanted to come to church today to talk about this very subject. You were like, I can't wait. I want to talk about pain and difficulty. Uh, but that's exactly what we're going to do. Um, I'm so honored, so grateful to be here. And um, just love your pastor. Pastor Rice is just such a beautiful guy. And we've been in a lot of rooms together where we've been able to share uh, life with one another. And it's just love that guy. And so I'm grateful for you. But as we talk about suffering, um, if you're here and you are, uh, you don't consider yourself a Christian, or maybe you're kicking the Christian tires, or maybe your girlfriend said, come on, we got to go, and you said, all right, I will, and you know, whatever, however it went down for you this morning, maybe your parents brought you here, or it's just a tradition that you normally do. I, I want you to know that um, all of us are going to go through suffering. Buddhist, Muslim, Christian, atheist, believer, not believer, spiritual, not spiritual. We're all going to go through suffering. And if that's true and you are not a believer, you're not in Christ, then this is a wonderful opportunity for you to see how Christians go through what you will go through. We all will go through it. And so if you are a Christian, I'm grateful that you're here as well. Because you get to see how we, as Christians, go through suffering. And so um, I'm going to ask, I'm going to take a moment to pray as we get into this text. I'm going to ask Jesus to help us to see him um, as high and lifted up and glorious and wonderful. And so let's go ahead and do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you that you are good and powerful, and present. Not only here and now, but even in moments of suffering. So Father, would you speak deeply to those who are experiencing suffering right now? Would you speak to their hearts and remind them of your presence? Would you help those who are not in suffering, preparing them for the difficulties ahead? And would you, oh God, draw us all to love you, worship you, submit to you, and enjoy you in Christ. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. So I'm a pastor of a church, Recovery House of Worship. It's in Brooklyn. And uh, our church is full of people who have come from addicted backgrounds, we're called, uh, called the Recovery House of Worship, for, not for nothing, but so we're full of addicted backgrounds, um, uh, jails, um, homelessness. Those are the kind of people that we minister to and, and you know, just like this church. And um, yeah, right. And, uh, and so as we were serving, my family and I, my wife and I, as we were serving in that church, um, God allowed us to go through a very difficult season from 2007 to 2009. In fact, 2007 to 2009 was the most difficult season of my life. Now, if you knew me, you know how much, how, how profound that statement was. I grew up, my mother is a paranoid schizophrenic who's also bipolar, 
And I grew up around that environment, not understanding why my mother was the way, I was, the way she was. My father uh, was an alcoholic, and, uh, and then he left, and uh, at least he provided some resources. And so when he left, we, we got into, like, abject poverty. We lived in what you would call, like, a crack house without the crack. Like, it was holes in windows. It was no heat, no electricity, no phone. Um, it was it was difficult, to say the least. But with that said, 2007 to 2009, toughest season of my life. It started in uh, early 2007 when my um, my father, who we have a very very strained relationship, he decided to um, to pack up everything and move to the Dominican Republic, which is weird because we're Puerto Rican. And so I was like, what is that about? And I was just in his house the week before and said, so what's going on? What's new? What's happening in your life? And he failed to mention any of that. Like you would think that that would be like the first thing that he would say. Wouldn't mention it. Just, it but you know what it felt like? It felt like, it, honestly, it felt like he died. It felt like it was just another nail in the coffin of our relationship. It reminded me how far we are, even though I was in that moment trying to rebuild our relationship. Also, in that same period of time, someone who we were trying to serve and help within our community decided they didn't need our services, but they did need my laptop. And so took, that lap took said laptop and it was like, my laptop is not like your laptop. Your laptop is shiny and thin. You can cut paper with it. It's very, very nice. It's got the symbol of sin on the top of it. Yeah, that's your laptop, right? Like the universal symbol of sin. That's the company I want to support. And so, uh, no, I'm sorry. That was too many jabs. That was too many jabs in one shot. I'm sorry. Come back. I'll be nicer. I'll be nicer. I'm sorry. I feel bad now. Okay, let me regroup. Okay, so, so my laptop is not like your laptop. My laptop, like missing buttons, had huge two or three cracks going through the screen, but I had memorized what the missing buttons meant, and so it was fine. And so, but I, I was like, I, I planned on writing books. It was where all my sermons were. It was like all the things that I was planning on doing. Have you ever had somebody take like the wind out of your sails? I mean, when he took that thing, it was in 2007. It's a lot of years from, since now. I still haven't sat down to, I just recently, just recently started to make notes in my phone. It was just devastating to me. It took all of my work. And then at the same time, my mother had a stroke. Um, and they took her to the, the place where she would get the physical rehabilitation. And they started to give her medication to help her get better, but they neglected to give her the mental medication. And so I didn't know that because I would go, hey, are you guys giving my mom the medication? Because I've seen this before. It doesn't go well. And it's like, yeah, no, here's the medication. And I, I didn't know that it wasn't the medication, the mental medication that she needed. And so she kept on de mentally degrading. And I just, I felt like I was five years old again. And with a mom who was out of control. And it just, it took me back. I just, I didn't have the proper, I didn't have like the emotional capital to understand how to deal with that moment. And then, at that same period of time, 
while we were ministering to the homeless, we became homeless ourselves because there's no money in serving the homeless. You don't make bank when you serve the homeless. I don't know if you knew that. That might have been the reason you needed to come to church today. Just know if you serve the homeless, there ain't a lot of money in it. Okay, so I, I, we actually became homeless. Now, I have five children now, but we had four back then. In fact, I think we have a, do we have a picture of my family? I thought we sent it. No, not my bad. That wasn't your bad. That's my bad. Um, I, I don't do PowerPoint well. So, um, but I have uh, five uh, children. We had four at the time. Uh, one boy, uh, three girls at the time. And what I had to do, I mean, and when I say we were homeless, I mean like homeless, like living, with, homeless living with the homeless, homeless cooking with the homeless, homeless taking showers where the homeless take showers. Home, so it was like that. But my wife and I felt a real deep call to serve the community that we're in. And so we just felt that God's call was more important than our comfort. And so... God had led us that way, and so, but not easy. So I had to, like, I had to do this thing, and, you know, don't judge me, but I had to, I put a bolt on the door that my daughters had, and it was a communal bathroom, so I couldn't, when they went to sleep, I couldn't risk them going to the bathroom and coming back in the room and not locking the door, because we obviously don't do background checks on the homeless. We just, you know, try to serve them and love them, but I don't know what their background is, and I couldn't have my, I could, it was just too much. I couldn't let my daughter, so I had to lock them in the room, give them a bucket and say, hey guys, if you got to go to the bathroom, there's the bucket, but just, uh, I'll come and unlock the door in the morning and wake you up. And then I got to see my wife cry herself to sleep for not a day, not a week, not a month, not a year, but for like over 700 days watching my wife cry herself to sleep, knowing that this was God's call on our lives, but experiencing the pain and the discomfort. It was suffering. It was difficult. It was hard for us. And then within that same time, having to remind people about the goodness of God and fighting for joy. Have you ever been in a place where you had to fight for joy? Not trying to fake it, not trying to, you know, front or act like you, you're something that you're not, but just genuinely rolling up your sleeves, praying to God, I need joy for today. And I want genuine joy that I want to share with those people. I mean, fighting for joy and not always winning. Dealing with depression during that same time. It was tough. It was very, very difficult. But here's what I know. If I took this here microphone and I passed it to the person sitting in your seat, you would be able to tell me your story. You'd be able to share with us your, your time of suffering, your season of deep pain. For some of you, it's going on right now. You'd be able to share about how the marriage is not going the way you wish it would. And you feel like you're putting, here's the terrible thing. This is the worst advice you'll ever get. Like, you know, in marriage is a 50-50 proposition. It's never 50-50 proposition. Let me tell you why. My 50 always looks greater than my wife's 50. Has, have you noticed that in marriage? That my 50 looks way more than my wife's 50. And she feels the same way. And so you feel like you're putting everything into your marriage, but it just feels like it's not going anywhere. You're suffering. Maybe nobody knows about it. 
Maybe you got a phone call from the doctor. And he said, no, this is not an over-the-phone conversation. You need to come. And you had a conversation, and, and it just didn't go well. Maybe your children, maybe your children are choosing or making decisions that are going to really negatively impact them for a long, long time. And your heart is just aching and you've bribed and you've begged and you've threatened and you've done everything you could. And they're still going in that. You're just suffering. Maybe you're here and you're like me. And you suffer with moments of depression that you can hardly speak. It took everything out of you just to make it, just to put on your clothes, get on your shoes, and walk here today. I know. I know what that's like. And you're suffering. And you think, does anybody even care? Does anybody even care about what I'm going through? I want you to know this. God deeply cares about what you're going through. In fact, the very reason why he brought me here and you here is because he cares so much that he wanted to share something from his word about how Christians go through suffering. And so if this is a really important message that I need you to tune into, whether you're going through suffering or not, because if you're going through suffering, the application is going to be easy. But if you're not going through suffering, you'll think, oh, well, then I'll just scroll through Facebook or watch the Twitter thing and, and do that whole deal. And here's, here's what I'm trying to tell you. Listen to me. You are going to suffer, I promise. And that whether you need it right now or you need it sometime in the future, you're going to need the lessons that God is going to teach us through his word. And God loves us so much that I could have taken his word, I could have kind of opened up anywhere in the Bible and sort of pointed blindly, and we would have had some instruction about how to deal with suffering. And the reason that it's so filled in the scriptures is because God knows that this is a universal experience. And so God wanted to give us a lot of instruction about how to suffer Suffer with Jesus, knowing that he walks with us in the midst of our suffering. Now, here's the problem with suffering. When you and I, or here's the problem with pain, there's two like defaults. Now, I, ha I haven't done like an official study, but I'm around, I'm, I'm around an excessive amount of suffering. Like my counseling time, you know, when I do counseling with people, I sit down and the mom tells me how her boyfriend has, she just found out how her boyfriend of three years has been molesting her daughter for the last year and a half. Okay. Or the guy who was just got clean, just stopped drinking, stopped, you know, just stopped a bunch of negative stuff and went to the doctor for the first time in 14 years. How that guy goes, the doctor told me I got the virus. So I'm not like an expert on suffering, but I have some of my own personal suffering and I vicariously have suffered through the lives of others. And here's what I've, I've noticed. Here's what I've observed about suffering. There's like two defaults. There might be more. For sure there's, the more, there's more, but there's not less. There's two defaults of our hearts when we suffer. One is that we become self-centered. 
We become self-centered when we suffer. Here's what I mean by that. Have you ever had like a migraine headache and then somebody come in the room and talk real loud and you're like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. He goes, what's wrong with you? Don't you know I have a headache? And it's like, they didn't know. And you don't care if they're going through a difficult time. You don't care if they were happy and wanted to celebrate with you. All you are consumed with is the pain that you're going through. And it's a natural thing. Pain makes us self-centered. When we go through our pain, in fact, there are some of you who are in this congregation right now and you're going through your own pain and you're like, I don't believe Renaissance. This might be your last Sunday here because you're like, I don't believe Renaissance. Nobody understands the pain that I'm going through. Nobody's checking up on me, not realizing that the person that might be sitting next to you might be going through the exam suffering, begging Jesus for someone in the congregation to speak to them, but you're so consumed by your own suffering that you can't be, that you don't want to be, you don't want to be concerned with anyone else. Suffering makes us self-centered as opposed to God-centered. Self-centered as opposed to God-centered going, God, I don't know why I'm going through this. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know even if I can get through this. But Lord, I know that you have wisdom beyond my own and that you can strengthen me, encourage me, get me through this tough time. Would you use this pain to bless somebody else? It moves us into self-centeredness as opposed to God-centeredness. Suffering also, there's another default of the human heart. It moves us, suffering does, pain does. It moves us to become narrow. You know what I mean when I say narrow? We become narrow-minded when we're in pain, when we suffer. We think to ourselves this. It, here's what I mean when I say narrow. We, we think to ourselves, well, if I cannot think of one reason why I could be going through this pain and suffering, that means that God cannot think of one good reason why I should be going through this suffering. Therefore, there is no good reason why I should be going through this suffering. You know what I'm saying? We become narrow-minded as opposed to being open-minded, as opposed to saying, we start saying things like, there's nothing good that could come from this. As opposed to saying, there's nothing but good that God can do through this. You see, those are the defaults, becoming narrow, becoming self-centered. But God's word is going to teach you something powerful today. And he's going to speak even into those defaults. And so God knew that every one of us were going to go through suffering. And so he put in his word how we were to go through it. And he put it through this guy, his name is Paul. God spoke through him as he wrote these things down. His name is Paul the Apostle. He was actually a hater of Christians. He openly railed against Christians, mocked Christians, thought Christian, the Christian idea of God was a farce and openly went contra, went against Christians, persecuting them all over the place. And while he was living out his plan for persecuting Christians, God had a different plan for his life. And God interrupted him and drew him to himself. And he became an apostle. An apostle is like a messenger, a sent one. 
a person who would declare who Jesus was and what he has done. That's who Paul was. And Paul writes in this book called 2 Corinthians. We say 2 Corinthians because it's one of two books written to the Corinthian church. He writes this in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, pause right, right there. That's a mouthful. Therefore. What's the therefore? Therefore. Anybody who's been past the third grade knows that therefore connects a thought before it to a thought that's about to happen. Paul is right here with this word, therefore. He's trying to connect what he has just said. See, you and I, we jump to verses not understanding sometimes that what was happening before the verse that we're reading really influences and informs how we should read the verse that we're presently reading. Paul says, therefore, because the 15 verses before that verse, Paul was sharing about his own suffering. Paul, he, he says, he goes, we were pressed. We were being hampered in. We were pressed, but we weren't crushed. We were persecuted. People talked about us. People maligned us. People said lies about us. We were persecuted, but we weren't abandoned. We were struck down. There was physical harm done to us, but we weren't destroyed. The kind of pain and suffering that Paul went through, not in spite of the gospel, but as a direct result of the gospel, as a direct result of living God's call, that's how he experienced most of the suffering that he went through in his life. Paul, that Paul, who went through more suffering than you and I can imagine, shipwrecked more than once, beaten, sent to jail, that guy says, therefore, since everything that I just told you about suffering is true, that we experience it, that there's no avoiding it, that the fact is, is that you and I will go through kinds of suffering that will make our hearts break, our eyes water, our souls discouraged. It will, we will go through the kind of pain that we can't even imagine right now. The fact that that's true, therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, I don't know about you. I have a problem sometimes. Have you ever had a friend where you told your problems to and they just gave you like a cliche or they treated it glibly? I don't know how you react to those things, but I have a strong urge to punch them in the face. <laughs> I hate that because my pain is real. My pain is profound. And so it might seem like God's word is being glib. It might be like, oh, yeah, of course you don't lose heart. You don't know. You don't know what it's like to grow up in Brooklyn. You don't know what it's like to grow up in Harlem. You don't know what it's like to have my family or my mother or my father. You don't understand. And, and I want you to just, at, at first glance, it could seem that way, but that's only because we haven't finished the text. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. See, one of the things about suffering that the Christian, that the Christian perspective brings is just, it doesn't 
suppress the truth. Some of us grew up in churches where we suppressed the pain, the difficulty, the hardship that we were going through. In fact, it was expected. You could have fought all the way on the car, all the way. And then once you get here, it was like, hey, how you going? How's everything going? And it's like one of those things, right? And you're expected, right? The, the, the Christian perspective doesn't allow that. The Christian perspective recognizes that we are wasting away, that there are certain things that just devastate us. And the kind of wasting away that Paul is talking about here is the kind of wasting away that happens when you and I are fighting for a marriage that we feel like we're the only ones that we're fighting for it. Or maybe we're fighting against cancer. Or maybe we're fighting to keep bread on the table. But it's also, we get reminded, the older you get, the more you get reminded that you're wasting away. Right? It was the reason why I had to stand in front of the mirror a little bit longer this morning when I was combing my hair. I was like, wow, I am really wasting away because I got these bald spots coming in everywhere. Listen, it's not just me or it's not just men, ladies. Ladies, can we talk? <laughs> See, the truth is, and, and just to answer this question, you don't have to raise your hand, just answer it in your head, right? Do it in your inside voice. Um, has there... Are there any of you who put a tint or a color in your hair to, to throw off the clue that you are wasting away? <laughs> Could that have happened? Perhaps you paid a lot of money for that. Right, why, 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 why do we do that? Because we know, we know intuitively we're wasting away and that's why we, we just don't want to face it. We, don't, we want to act like it doesn't exist. But the scriptures, the Christian Bible says, no, 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 no. We're going to look at this face to face. We're going to actually not suppress this. And also, we're not going to go on the other side. We're not going to do this like, you know, this, this, this functional church thing where we suppress things. And we're also not going to let it get um, uh, all the authority in our lives. We're not going to, you know, uh, vent to the degree where we feel like others are harmed from our venting. No, no, no. We are going to look at it squarely as it is. It's not going to have the power in our lives, but it is going to be recognized. Outwardly, we are wasting away. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Now, remember how I said I'm super grateful for those of you who are not necessarily Christians, um, if you're here, if you're not following Christ, again, I love you. And here's what I want. And, and I'm not, I don't say this with, I'm not trying to be malicious or fresh or anything like that, honestly. If you don't know Jesus, the first half of that sentence is true. And that's it. Outwardly, you are wasting away. The second part of that sentence is only for Christians. But inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. If you don't know Jesus, if his spirit is not living in you, if you're not living for the glory of the Father, then outwardly you are wasting away. When suffering happens, they might not feel like there's any purpose and it might seem. And in fact, there is none. And just do the best you can. But if you're in Christ, even though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed 
day by day. This is huge. This means that God is working, that our suffering is not meaningless, that God is doing something. He's producing something in us. He's making something happen that's beautiful on the inside of our hearts. He's producing something in us, and he's doing it, listen, day by day. This is why if you come to Renaissance on a weekly basis, and I know, right, like my sermons are not nearly as good as, you know, Pastor Rice's. I'm sorry about that, but keep coming. He'll come back and it'll be all good, right? But here's what I'm saying. Even Pastor Rice's sermons, if you just come once a week, and that's the only time you open up the scriptures, and that's the only time where you sing to Jesus, and that's the only time where you ask Jesus to do this work in your heart, and that's the only time you study the Bible, I'm just telling you, you're malnourished. It's, you're being renewed day by day. You cannot remain full on yesterday's food. And similarly, you cannot remain renewed on yesterday's revival. You see, no matter, and I know, oh, but you don't understand. Jesus met me in a powerful way, and oh, I cried, and it was so powerful. And oh my gosh, that pastor, not only was he handsome, he was a good preacher, and like that's the things you might say tomorrow or something like that, right? And so I'm just thinking how you might react. And so those things might happen, but here's it, beloved, beloved, no matter what, tomorrow you're going to need to be renewed again. And you go, but why didn't God just give me all the renewal, like all in one shot, tap me out, and why did God have to be? There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. There's a bunch of reasons for that, but one of them is, number one, to get you out of your pride and self-centeredness because you're consumed with yourself. I mean, we we, we don't say things like this, but it's all about me, isn't it? And you sit there and you go, oh, it's all about me. And here's the proof. If you're offended by that, think about the last person who sinned against you. It might have been your spouse, could have been your kids, could have been your friend. Ask yourself this question. The last person who sinned against you, were you as offended at your sin to someone else as you were at their sin to you? You know why? You know why I know you weren't? Because you're self-centered. And if that's true, we need every day to be reminded, Jesus, you're enough. Jesus, you sustain. Jesus, it's like our 40 years in the desert, isn't it? Right? Where they eat the manna every day and it's just enough for that day. It's like God can be trusted. Every day, they got a 40-year lesson. God could be trusted. Every time they picked up that manna, God, you are good. God, you provide. God can be trusted every day in the desert. That's why you and I need to be renewed day by day. God renews us day by day through his word, in prayer, singing to him, serving others, and being generous with our resources. He renews us day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And again, if we, at first glance, it might seem like we're being glib here, but God is not being glib. You go, it's not light. It's not momentary. The pain that I'm going through has gone on for 25 years, and there's no end in sight. It's not light. It's not momentary. The kind of difficulty that I'm going through, 
It's not like, no, but listen, it's light and momentary in comparison to the eternal, as opposed to momentary, glory that far outweighs, as opposed to light, them all. I don't know, I have five children, so I know what this is like. If you've ever lost your kid in the beach or in a mall or on the street or anything like that, if you've ever lost your kid, the terror, there is, there is nothing like it. There is a terror that fills you that is difficult to explain. If, you've never had, if you, it's never happened to you, I hope it never does. It's unspeakable, the terror that you experience in that moment. It's only outdone, that emotion is only outdone by the joy that you feel the moment that they are in your arms. Because that was light and momentary and this was weighty, really weighty. That the pain that you felt then was overwhelmed by the joy that you felt in finding them. Like, even if you were like, you know, the kind of parent that says, oh my goodness, I'm going to give them a spanking for not being where I told them to. You see them and all that just goes. Why? Because you recognize that there's a joy that's greater than the pain. Could that be possible in Christ? That there's a joy that we look forward to that's greater than the suffering that we're going through now? This is so difficult to experience while you're in the midst of it. I was a, a little boy. And somebody walked into a room that I was in. It was a grown man. And he locked and double locked the door. And that day, terrible things happened to me. Soul scarring things. Things that would make me question my sexual identity for years. Imagine going to that little kid and going, don't worry, kiddo, suck it up. It's light. It's momentary. That's why we're not glib. As Christians, we're not glib. You don't go to that child and say that. What you do is you love them and you hug them and you weep with them. But I'm no longer that child. I'm 46 years old. And let me tell you what I wish that kid knew. That this evil thing, and let's all agree, okay? Let's all agree that that's evil always, all the time, never is that any good. It's a broken world and evil happens. And if you're upset about the evil that happens in this world, are you as upset of the evil inside your heart? Because the only kind of, well, not the only kind, but there's a lot of kind of evil that happens in this world as a direct result of the human heart. That kid, I wish he could have known that the, even though that was an awful moment, painful, full of pathos and suffering and awful, that what the devil meant for evil, God would use that very evil moment for good. And I can't tell you how many times I've been in front of another person, whether they be woman or man, and they're just weeping and they're just telling me their story and they're just, 
and I weep with them. And I go, you too, me too. No, you don't understand. After this happened, I started to question my sexual identity. I started to question my, my gender. I started to question everything. I go, you too? Me too. That moment has never been good. It's always been evil. God is doing something. And he even took a horrible moment like that. And he was achieving for me eternal glory that far outweighs them all. See, your suffering is not in vain. Your suffering is not for nothing. Your suffering is not like that. Your suffering is producing something in you. And you and I, as followers of Christ, choose to believe God's word rather than our feelings in that moment because in times of great suffering, our feelings sometimes can't be trusted. And so we go, God, this feels so meaningless. This feels like there's absolutely no reason why this should have happened. This is terrible. And then with the same, with the same breath, we go, God, I can't see it. But I'm fixing as the next part of the text says, so I fix my eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The harm that they did to this human body might have harmed this body, but I have a soul that will go on forever. I have a body that will glorify God. I will use this suffering and use this pain. You're going through that marital, marital strife and you're going, I don't have any idea why we're going through this pain and they don't understand. And I feel like I'm doing everything and you don't understand that God is doing something in you. He's renewing you for, and it might not be just for you. It might be that he might use the work that he does in your suffering as a blessing so that other couples don't go through the same suffering. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. You've been very patient, and I've gone over my time. So here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you, as a direct result of listening to the sermon, here's two things. Two things you can do immediately. Like, I mean, within the context of this service. One is I want you to start thinking about running your suffering, your past suffering, through the grid of renewal. Because here's what happens. Here's what I know about you. Here's what I know about me. There are lies that Satan planted in our mind about God when you and I have gone through past suffering. And after we got out of the suffering, we never checked that thinking. And so we actually carry that suffering or that mentality into the future. There are, there are some decisions we made about Jesus during that time. So now that you know this, you could go, wait, 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 wait. Run your pain through the grid of renewal. Wait, you're doing something. In me. And how could you be certain that God is with you and for you during this time? Here's how you can be beloved. Listen, this is so important. God came from heaven to earth and suffered so that you could have relationship with Jesus. God wanted relationship with you to the degree that he himself suffered 
for your sins. And because of that, if you know that he would suffer for you, know that he'll send his spirit to live in you so that he'll suffer through you so that you might be renewed even in the midst of your pain. To run your past suffering through the grid of renewal. But Jesus, they, they're just talk, they talk bad about me. They've destroyed my reputation. Wait, but wait, they destroyed your reputation. And why'd you do that? You did that for me. God, would you, if you went through the same thing I went through, would you just encourage me about how to go through this without having to answer everybody back? So that's the first thing. I want you to run through. Okay, and, and here's, a, if, here's a helpful way you can run through past pain, past suffering, through a healthy grid. We're going to do it really fast because we got to go, okay? Here it is. If you have pen, pencil, or mascara, write this down, okay? <laughs> All right. First thing is I want you to ask yourself, what happened? This is a great writing exercise. This is a great writing exercise. This will help you to run your past pain through the grid of renewal. First, what happened? Now, this question you answer in seven words or less. Man went into room and molested me. Seven words or less. Seven words or less. You just want to get the facts. This is what happened. Then secondly, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself this question. What did you think at the time that that happened? Oh, I... I thought that this is going to set the trajectory of my sexual life. That, what, what, what did you think? I must be gay. What did you think? I'm just telling you my experience. You do it whatever, for whatever. And then how did you feel? And then you could write a book about what you thought and how you felt. I felt like I was damaged goods, like nobody could ever know this, like I have to hide who I am. I felt like... I felt like I wasn't man enough now, like that, like manhood was taken from me. Then what did you do? I started to get experimental with other kids, which furthered the abuse and furthered the brokenness. Started experimenting with other boys. What did you do after your suffering? And then finally, what could God be up to? in that moment. How could God use that moment for his glory and your good? Maybe it's better to write it down that way. How could God use even the most awful, terrible, painful thing that you've gone through for his glory and your good? That's the first thing. So I want you to run your past suffering through the grid of renewal. Secondly, there's an opportunity at the end of the service when you take communion, but there's also after that, they have uh, the deacons that you just heard about that Portia beautifully spoke about. And they want, listen, some of you are in suffering right now. You just come up, let them pray for you. Tell somebody, don't suffer alone. There's an opportunity. It's already set up for you. Don't miss out. So listen, if you're here, here's what I want you to do. Your life, would be never, your life would never be the same if you would come to Christ, trust that his pain, that the suffering that he voluntarily put himself for you would work out good in you. And then maybe there's hope for the suffering that you go through yourself. Beloved, 
He's with you in the suffering. He hasn't abandoned you. God will be with you. Could you imagine what your life would be if you started to go through suffering this way, with this lens? It'll change the way you go through difficulty at work. It'll change how you react to your spouse. It'll change about how you view the direction your kids are going through. Not that that will be less painful, but it won't be the same type of suffering. It'll be suffering with hope in Christ rather than suffering with hopelessness. God is for you, and in Christ, he loves you, and he suffered for you to bring about the greatest good. Don't you think he can do the same even in through you? I think he can. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for my friends. I ask that you would speak deeply into their hearts, and if there's anything that I've done to distract them from your word, I pray that you would just solidify your word in their hearts, draw them to yourself, and help them to find the comfort that they need in the midst of their suffering that they so desperately need. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.